Coming up this week, off-screen... Charlie's Ferron takes us to dark places... Shuki is the assassin... Sandra Bullock's brand is Crisis... Clomerets fights off the fifth wave... Banking dramedy results in a big short... And Ice Cube takes Kevin Hart on another ride-along... All those to come and more, off-screen... This is... This is off-screen... With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, your weekly helping of film rantings and reviews. I'm Van Connor. My name is what? What actually? Is my last name, time I checked, you were Case Allen. Cassius I'm still Allen. Case Allen. You're still Case Allen. Allen. Okay, so we, do you know we've got a, a, a bit of an up and down week this week. We've got some films mm. that I absolutely loved, some films I absolutely adored, some films I didn't care for too much, <laughs> and then the Fifth Wave, which I sort of half loved and half hated. <laughs> it's quite a mixed bag. Quite a mixed bag. Yeah. There's some you loved as well, isn't there? Uh, yeah. We'll, oh, get, we'll get into those. Okay, so let's start with. Uh, let's start with one that I uh, I thought was great, hmm. and I will start with them. With our brand is Crisis, okay. which is this is based on a 2005 documentary of the same name, and this was a documentary about political fixes. It was about political consultants it like was, yeah. Karl Rove and people like that who went to South America to consult on a presidential election. The film follows a similar plotline, except we now follow Sandra Bullock as uh, Jane Bedeen commonly known as Calamity Jane for her ability to handle a crisis and the chaos she brings to it. And she is tasked with coming out of retirement to consult on the Bolivian presidential election in which there is a lame duck candidate played by Joaquin de Almeida. You know, he was the bad guy in Desperado years oh, ago. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know the guy. Yeah, I know the guy. How he never turned up in a season of 24. To this day, I don't really yeah. know. but <laughs> Makes he, no sense. Makes no sense. And uh, she, he's the lame duck candidate whom she must get elected. But in order to do so, she's going to have to face off against her arch nemesis, the one and only Mr. Billy Bob Thornton. And here is a clip of their first meeting. So what are you doing here? I thought you retired or gave up or something. No, nope. not retired. Working. Yeah. Okay. You're lending a hand. Hmm. Nice. You? Same thing. Yeah, I'm just uh, doing a favor. Yeah. Are you good otherwise? Couldn't yeah. be better, yeah. yeah. Join this uh, dog and pony show? Not one for crowds. People suck, don't they? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. You look tired. You okay? I think so. I think I'm good. Why? I don't know. You just look a little deep. What happened to your hair? You still got a great sense of humour. So yeah, the joke to that obviously is that Billy Bob Thornton is now completely bald. He, he has is, a very yeah. sort of reptilian Yule Brynner like quality <laughs> to him. He's also he's a very slender man, Billy Bob Thornton. Yes, also, he is. Yeah. He does cut that quite reptilian like figure in this. And right, so what you've got here is something that it's kind of a traditional film in one sense. We live in a day and age in which there is no middle ground anymore. You're either the indie film or you are the big blockbuster. There is no mid range movie anymore. And even Michael Bay's decrying this so you know something's up 
When, when Michael when, when Michael Bay tries to get involved, yeah. When Michael yeah. Bay's telling Something's you arrived. it's a shame there's no middle ground anymore, you, well, you do you partly think yes, Michael, that's your fault. Yeah, but, <laughs> don't try and sugarcoat it and bring out a film like thirteen. Yeah, what is it? thirteen hours. Thirteen We've hours. Got that next week. Yeah. But no, no, when even Michael Bay's personal project turns out to be something with all the swagger of pain and gain. Yeah, y- yeah. So what you've got here is the is the middle ground. You've got this is like a thirty million dollar you know lower end. Well, mid-range, really, but not lower-end. Um, star-driven, one star at its centre, slightly lower-rung star as the antagonist, and then a bunch of up-and-comers in the background who are being propped up by the star-driven front of the film. So you've got Sandra Bullock, who's doing this thing, and she does the whole hungover, world-weary thing that she's done before. We've seen this sort of thing. This is kind of like the beginning of miscongeniality in one it sense. It is, a little bit, yeah. and, and she does it fairly well. I mean, the only difference here is, you know, she's sporting this, uh, this sort of haggard-looking, dyed blonde, job that she's got um so that that's her characterization for this piece if we're being honest but um say you've then got the, the cast of up and comers you've got anthony mackie scoot mcnary zoe kazan you know these are all sort of the next generation of potential stars i mean scoot mcnary is pretty much the next big thing isn't he still he's on? been in so many films in the last three or four years well, yeah. he has i mean i, I remember he's, his, he's his, gonna be in the uh, batman superman he film, is he's yeah. a, rumored rumored to be jimmy olsen although i believe as well see it. Mm. um i remember him being in gone girl that's that's yeah, he's, he's really good. Very yeah. effective moment in Gone Girl. But Anthony Mackie is in there as well. He's always a delight to watch. Yeah. Zoe Kazan makes a decent impression with a very minimal I would like role. to see her in more things. I only really know her from that film that she wrote, uh, Ruby Sparks. Ruby Sparks. Yeah. I know her from What If as well. Oh, with, of course. Uh, yeah, with Daniel course, Radcliffe. Yeah. yeah, man, Daniel Radcliffe. So, as I say, this is something of a milk run for Sandra Bullock then because she's done this before. This is basically the beginning of miscongeniality, yeah. then put into a business suit. <laughs> um, it has this brilliantly irreverent tone. It's, you know, it's it's a drama. It's kind of a character-driven thriller in one sense. It's a like an expanded episode of Scandal. If you've ever seen, have you ever watched Scandal? Uh, I have, thanks to my fiance. I was going to yes. say, I would imagine Cassie's Cassie a fan loves of Scandal. Cassie Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. yeah. Just imagine Sandra Bullock stepped in for Kerry Washington, and you've got you've this got movie okay. basically. <laughs> um, and say so it, it's it's humorous. It's it's irreverent. It's light-hearted, but it's never distractingly so. Mm. It, you will laugh, but you're not distracted from the drama. I think by the comedic elements within it's it, it's an enjoyable time but the, what what it comes down to say is that tone and do you know who's behind this I don't actually know. Do you know you're going to love this case. Tell me. Right. The director of this is none other than Mr. David Gordon Green. Who, oh really? Yeah, who brought us Prince Avalanche and yeah. Joe. So, I love both first films. Which, of course, are his indie ones. He's done his mid-range comedies, as it were, because mid-range does, does still exist in comedy. For, for people like Seth Rogen, yeah. For people like Seth Rogen, yeah. yeah. And now he's he's gone back, he's doing so, mid-range. So he's gone from, like, yeah. Pineapple Express and uh, Your Highness. Exactly. To, to this. To this, yeah. And, and it works very well. You've got Peter Strahan's uh, screenplay hits every note perfectly. It's There's a bit of mumblecore element, as you can tell from the clip. It's very much a banter, very back and forth. But yeah. it, it does feel like one of those classically mid to late 90s Warner Brothers releases the kind that used to come in a cardboard DVD sleeve with a plastic clip on the side I miss those yeah. I have so many I know me yeah. too I miss them too I've got um, uh, Swordfish Outbreak Sphere all those <laughs> Batman ones. and Robin somewhere yeah. so on from the joy that was our Brandish Crisis then to the saddest mm. news of the week which is the passing of the great Alan Rickman this was yeah. tragic news and this happened was it like a day after we recorded the show it was It was last Thursday it, it was last it Thursday was about, we record this on Wednesday we so. do 
it on Wednesday yeah. night. It was about half an hour before uh, the Academy Award uh, nomination. Which were, we must we must get to at some point. Yeah, but this is far far more important. Alan Rickman, who passed away yeah. at age sixty nine after battling cancer, and leaves behind a legacy of such gems. Mm. And we always forget that his first film role was Die Hard. It was. That, yeah. What what a way to start off. I don't think a lot of people realise that until that Screen Junkies Honest trailer came <laughs> it's out. It's true. His first like, film way, role. Way, way to hit the ground running, Rickman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your excuse, Miles Teller? Alan Rickman is no longer with us. Sad times. Yeah. So we indeed. should move on, of course, to the box office top ten. So do you want to uh, do you want to uh, kick us off then, Mr. Allen? I certainly will. Number ten. We have an opera that I cannot pronounce. Okay, then I have not seen an opera that we can't pronounce. So we'll just leave that right there. Number nine. Joy. I had absolutely no issue pronouncing Joy. <laughs> you know she's it's, pronouncing it's three Joy. letters. Uh, I like Joy. Um, I do think there is uh, there are two films at odds with each other in there. I think there is this great John Waters like pursuit of the American Dream like tale, mm. and I love that film. I think that film is great. However, there is also this really forced kitchen sink drama element to it, and I think that clashes with the American Dream storyline, and it creates something of an uncohesive element to the to the film. It does have a great central performance from Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I think it's it's lumbered down somewhat by Robert De Niro, and he feels kind of obligatory in terms of his being yeah. there. I liked Edgar Ramirez, though. It was Edgar Ramirez, wasn't it? It is. It is indeed. As, as the, uh, what clearly meant to be the Jeremy Renner role, and Bradley <laughs> Cooper dialing it down a bit as well, and he's quite likeable in it. Hmm. But I don't often buy into the whole Bradley Cooper is a movie star myth, but... Eh, fair enough. Number eight. Snoopy and Charlie Brown of a Peanuts movie. Well, it's not 1971, so I think this movie's a little bit out of its element. Uh, the animation's very, very nice. It looks great, the computer animation with the sort of uh, hand-drawn-looking faces yeah. and the 3D element. Very interesting to look at. However, it isn't really... It's not got the narrative to support an extended feature-length outing. This is something that would have felt better as a sort of 25-minute TV special with commercials. Number seven. Room. Room. This you were a big great. fan of this, weren't you? Uh, yeah. Quite unsurprising though I was. I loved it. Well, yeah. What are the odds? A film starring uh, Brie Larson made your, uh, made your hit list. Mm, uh, yeah. I think she's terrific in it. I think she Jacob is. Tremblay is terrific in it. Yeah. I think uh, Scott Bridger, Sean Bridger, sorry, who plays, who plays uh, Old Nick. Old, Old Nick. Yeah. I think he's great. In it. Everything in the film works. It is well shot by Lenny Abramson, well written by M.O. Donahue, and really well performed by its two leads. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to that one? Uh, no. No, pretty much just ditto what you just said. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. then. <laughs> Number six. The Danish Girl. Which, are you surprised this one didn't clean up at the Oscar nominations? And... Uh, no, there's been a bit of a, not a critical backlash, but yeah. I think people have just been like, oh, well... He's just doing a similar kind yeah, of role. similar kind of thing. But yeah. uh, no, I like the Danish girl more than most. It seems. Um, I, I, do th- I thought it was fine. I thought it was a fine BBC One Sunday night nine PM drama. I think directorially it feels very distant, and that's my biggest problem. Yeah, with but it. that's just Tom Hooper's directorial style. He likes having the camera really far over there or right <laughs> up in your grill. Eddie, I want to do a close up. Uh, stay there. I'm going to walk back twenty five minutes. Yeah, I'm going to have you in the bottom left hand <laughs> corner of the screen. Now give me them eyes, Eddie. Give me them eyes. <laughs> And uh, it is it's Alicia Vikander's movie though. It's, yeah, it's very much yeah. so. Not not so much uh, Eddie Redmayne's. It's all about Alicia yeah, Vikander. Despite the fact that she's been nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress. Yes, mm. I don't quite get that because it is her film. Yeah, totally. But we will get to the Oscar nominations after the jump. I think well, we've yeah, got some we film news. We got some film news coming up at some point soon. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the On Screen Radio Show. 
And we're back. So, should we uh, should we get to Miss Moretz for the first time this week? Because she's in two of our films this week. Oh, lucky us. Lucky us. You yeah. can't have too much Moretz, it seems. So, uh, the first one is uh, The Fifth Wave. The Fifth Wave. Yeah. Right, okay. So, this is this is based on the novel of the same name, which I'm reliably told is a big hit with the kids. Uh, this is the story of, I think she's uh, 18 years old. 18-year-old girl named Cassie, who... Okay, 18-year-old again. Cassie, mm. happy in your house. It's female yeah. lead named Cassie, yeah. So, uh, Cassie <laughs> survives the alien apocalypse which comes in four waves she is separated from her younger brother as the fifth wave is about to begin and must re- must reunite with the only surviving member of her family uh, there is also uh, another element which is the US military who are training up their own wave of child soldiers three guesses who finds himself recruited as one of said children Mm, I'm going to say her brother. Exactly. However, Cassie herself uh, finds herself injured and uh, taken in by a very handsome stranger. And, uh, well, we have a clip. Hey, it's okay. You're safe here. No. All right, we're not safe anywhere anymore. Why did you want to know how close Rod Patterson was? It's my brother. The army took him there, so I... I need to get him back. Shadi, you gotta get your strength back. Why'd you bring me here? What do, what do you want? My family. I couldn't save them. But I could save you. The way everything's happened, I guess it just makes me feel more human. Of all of the souls I have encountered in my travels, his were the most human. human. <laughs> it's impossible not to hit, not to think of that. Get some it? bagpipes playing in the background. <laughs> exactly. So this, all right, this is a film of two halves, and the first half is amazing. The first half is this insightful exploration of the alien apocalypse through the eyes of a teenage girl, and you think, wow, this has been actually really well hmm. conceived, really well thought out, really well written, really well delivered. Even Chloe Moretz knows how to play this really, really well, and the director. To a guy named Jay Blakes, and I'm not familiar with his work offhand. I was just um, going on his IMDb page right now. <laughs> and uh, he, he's, he's found a way to make this quite compelling and quite interesting, and he gets the best performance he can out of Chloe Moretz. He doesn't quite extend it to his, his talent so much to the other members of the teenage mm. and child cast. And then by the time you've established the end of the world, and you get to, you know, the sort of dystopian survival elements, it just becomes yet another YA lather, rinse, repeat exercise. Yeah. You know, here's a girl, she's a warrior now, she's got a love interest, and then there's another love interest, and no, no, no. no she's not, kind of not, more of the same. Same thing. Copy and paste. And yeah, it's yeah. got a Kiefer Goldsman credited on its screenplay. This is well. He's part of like every single writer's room ever. Now, that seems yeah, to be the thing. Although yeah. we've not seen the last of this quite clearly because it, it ends with something. There's some threads dangling at the end, and yeah, we've we've got I think at least one more book to be adapted yeah. yet. So you know what though, Chloe Moretz is due a franchise that isn't kick-ass. So <laughs> let her have it. Um, the, the adult cast members do seem to they they verge between reliable and really slumming it. Mm. Uh, Liev Schreiber reliable. Marie Bello really slumming it and that's the problem because the second half of the film is slumming it and the first half is great and that that's a real shame I mean they even managed to make me like Ron Livingston at one point but... you don't like Ron Livingston I find him very bland. I mean, the love interest really? in this, the oh, one who isn't the kid from Jurassic World, the other love yeah. interest, has all the charisma of a corduroy pillow, but abs. <laughs> I've, I've, I've actually got some corduroy pillows. You've actually got some yeah. corduroy pillows. Well, of course well I do. now you know what it is. So, we have to talk about, of course, the most impressive piece of film news for this week. 
we have a new Baywatch girl. <laughs> I want as much news as possible for this, so we could use that every single week. Well, that's it. It's going to come back every week, yeah. and I'm obsessed with Baywatch mythology, as we call it, so we will use as, it again. As you are insisting that it even exists. Bay- Baywatch has mythology, man. There was a continuity and story arcs. And, get, and a really bad spin-off with Jason Momoa. We, that, no, that wasn't a spin-off. That was, was a was rebranding. Like a, like a re-branding. That was a rebranding. So Baywatch became Baywatch Hawaii. That is still the original Baywatch. It's, it's still Baywatch Bay, canon. Uh, Baywatch Nights is the spin-off. Ah, right. That was the one in which David Hasselhoff became a private detective. And then the second season, <laughs> second season, they introduced paranormal elements so that he hunted vampires and things. Oh, incredible. Uh, you, did you yeah. not know about this? Uh, no, I was too busy watching better shows. This is actually referenced in the uh, Shane Black written movie, The Long Kiss Goodnight, in which he says he saw something terrifying on TV last night. Yeah, it's called Baywatch Nights. Brilliant line. Yeah. Well played, Shane. <laughs> so, we have a new love interest for The Rock. Yeah, and, we do. Uh, right, this is Ilfanesh Hadera, who mm. is going to be playing Steph according to Dwayne Johnson. Now, this is where it gets really interesting, because the only thing I can think is Steph presumably, is Stephanie Holden, who was one of the characters of the 90s sort of Brie, of the Pamela Anderson era, who had a sister. That sister, of course, being Caroline Holden, who was played by Yasmin Bleeth. Am I showing my, my Baywatch nerdiness yet? Yes. Uh, and yes. Yeah, now, I'm thinking, this is my theory at this point, that <laughs> may be the role that Priyanka Chopra is in talks for. As oh, really? the Yasmin Bleeth role. So, yes. So, we have not only the first Asian Baywatch girl, we may have two and their sisters. Ha <laughs> ha! But this also strengthens my theory that Dwayne Johnson may, in fact, be Mitch Buchanan. Oh, I would love that. I would love that so Wouldn't much. you love that? Wouldn't that be amazing? Do we know who the chick from San Andreas is playing? Oh, she's playing. She's she, she got a character uh, name. Nicole Eggert's character. She is Summer Quinn. Oh, okay. So we now know that. So yeah. I've, I've nerded out on Baywatch. That's all the Baywatch film news. We can, we for can this now week. move on. We can now move on. So on then to Dark Places, which yeah. is the uh, the latest adaptation of a Gillian Flynn novel, because the last one was a little bit popular. I don't know if you heard. Was it Gone Girl? It then, was, in fact, Gone Girl. It did quite well. It made all the money, won all the awards. We'll have to be very quick. I think we've got about a minute and a half for this. Okay. So, right. In the mid-80s, a young girl is the sole survivor of the murder of her entire family, allegedly committed by her brother, her older brother, who is <laughs> played by, I think it's Ty Sheridan, in flashback <laughs> form, but Corey Stoll in older form. In her elder years, she's now played by Charlize Theron. This is in the present day. She's... Um, approached by a true crime fanatic played by Nicholas Holt and tasked with revisiting the events of that night in the hopes of launching an appeal for her older brother. We have a clip. Go ahead, ask a question. I don't need to ask. I know you killed them. No, I did not. Is that what you said back then? Of course not. I was a teenage boy in a house full of girls. At school, I was the kid nobody paid attention to. In that courtroom, people were scared of me. I was a badass. A badass who killed his family. Libby, I was a fool, but I did not kill Mom or Debbie or Michelle. Then why have you never filed for an appeal? Hmm? You like it so much in there, you want to stay there? It's fair to say, this is not Gone Girl. This is no. not even close to Gone Girl calibre. It's 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 understandable they would want to adapt another Gillian Flynn novel. And this was greenlit, and this was going into production as the pre-release marketing for Gone Girl really ramped up. I mean, this has been sat on the shelf for about a year because it's yeah. it's been on it's been an exclusive US cable network since I think like September October last year. Uh, Directv had it for a while. Um, so, <laughs> but what you've got is a film that desperately wants to be the water cooler like fodder 
that came before it. However, it doesn't have anywhere near the heft or the narrative involvement that Gone Girl had. Mm. Gone Girl was a zeitgeist film. It was a film that came about at a time when we really needed an R-rated adult thriller again. We needed that to be a thing again. And it came along and it hit the, all the notes perfectly. People loved it. And people loved it. Deservedly yeah. so. It was a great film. And it yeah, had David indeed. Fincher behind it. And that man will deliver you gold when you ask him. Yeah. So, what you have is Charlie's Throne at the Forefront and a lot of promise that comes with her. It never quite lives up to that promise, mm. though. Um, Charlize Theron's character simply isn't there, despite the fact that there are some emotional beats to it for her. She doesn't quite hit them because it's all hidden behind what's, the, what's written as this very aggressive and unlikable character. And we get that she's been through trauma, that she's had a hard life, but the character is hostile to the point of being hostile to its audience. And it's simply not engaging, and particularly coming after Fury Road for her, this is something of a, something underwhelming, I would say. In the meanwhile, you've also got uh, dialogue which really can't be delivered by accurately by it's very Stilton all mm. the way through. You've got uninteresting characters. <laughs> you've got uh, just this wayward sense of direction all the way through. Uh, I believe his name is Giles Paquet Brenner, who is the writer director of this, has basically delivered you an upmarket Criminal Minds episode, and it can't really extend further than that. It doesn't mm. have any more heft to it than simply being <clears throat> this is a Criminal Minds episode. And that, yeah. that's, that's a bit a of a bit, problem. It's a bit of a shame, something very tell- yeah. <clears throat> It feels like a direct to DVD film, mm. and given that that's what it has been for you know half a year now, yeah. it, it kind of shows. So Gillian uh, Flynn hasn't been involved in the writing of the actual screenplay. She hasn't. What well, she actually wrote the screenplay for Gone Girl, and you yes. now you yeah. find yourself wondering: is the problem in the source material, mm. or is it simply that Gillian Flynn did not write the screenplay yeah. as well? Jury's out on that one. I've not read the source material. Couldn't tell you. And any comparisons to Gone Girl are frankly doing a disservice to Gone Girl, which is a shame. Don't do that to Gone Girl. It deserves better. Gone Girl's great. Gone Girl's been through enough. Yeah, Gone Girl's been through enough. It's great. Leave it alone. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. So we we should uh, take a look then at the big short, yeah, which is uh, that's kind of a heavy hitter for the week. That's our Oscar fodder, I think, for the week. It is. Really. Yeah, it's, it's up for what five, five or six. Is, but we, we will get to those. We'll do them in the podcast extras. We, in the podcast extras, we'll go through all of the Oscar nominations yeah. and and and, and <laughs> well, every single chew the category. Fat. We'll go through the categories. Yeah. You if, and I. if you're wondering about the best sound mixing, we'll talk about. It. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that in the podcast extras, yeah. which actually gives us a course for a good plug because we obviously, if you download the podcast version, then after the credits, anything we couldn't fit into the regular show gets put into the podcast extras which this week is going to include a review of the assassin because mm. we didn't have time to put it in the yeah. actual show so we do have time though to talk about the big short which is the latest from writer director adam mckay 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 uh, mckay mckay okay, yeah. who obviously most of us know from the anchorman movies he brought us anchorman one and two and here he's turned his attention to the financial crisis and has brought us this ensemble dramedy is the best way to call it that's a little bit of War for wall street a little bit of margin call uh, it stars Ryan Gosling, Steve Carell, Christian Bale, Brad Pitt, and it is the story of a, a group of individuals on Wall Street who not only saw the inevitable financial collapse coming, but also actively bet on it coming. And this film follows that story, and, well, it asks us to sympathise with them to a degree. So what we have as well are two up-and-coming Wall Street investors and their attempts to be taken seriously with this whole crisis incoming. Uh, we have a clip of them trying to get hold of of Brad Pitt's retired financial whiz in order to seek his expertise. He has so many numbers, and I always forget 
which one he prefers he because he's very specific. I don't know if it's the first one. Just try it. Okay. I, okay. Ben Rickard. Hey, Ben, it's Jamie. Jamie, you know you're not supposed to use this line. Told you. Um, okay, let's try number two out of 14. Ben Rickard. Ben, why do you do that, man? I mean, you're a retired trader, okay? No one is listening so to your NSA calls. The NSA has $52 billion budget and the ability to monitor... To tens of million calls a second. Do you think they're not using it? I promise I will refrain from saying Ben Rickert and Dirty Bomb in the same... There's something brilliantly Tyler Durden about the way he delivers that line, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. I can't say as much as do it. Click. Exactly. So this takes a stance really early on as this halfway point between Wolf of Wall Street with its out-and-out madcap absurdity and its sort of hedonistic celebration of access and the sort of, I would say, the soberingly cynical tone of mm. Margin Call and... It finds that middle ground really, really well. It finds it, it plants its flag, it stays there, and it delivers. And what you have is a film that really embodies the best qualities of both of those two films. And it has a great cast to it. Mm. Everyone in here is delivering absolutely top-shelf performances. So you start with Christian Bale, for instance, who is going for this almost Rain Man-like character. That is what it's been compared to, it, isn't it? There yeah. is something very Rain Man-like yeah. about his delivery of this character. Very likeable, despite being off-kilter and off-beat. Mm. And a character who he himself believes himself to be unlikable and uninteresting, yeah. yet is actually the complete opposite. And then you have Steve Carell, who's going for a little something a little schlubbier than what we were sort of used to from him in one sense. There's something quite bloated and bloated and tired about his problems, and it's perfect for the character. And then, of course, you have Ryan Gosling, who <laughs> visibly, visibly is having the time of his life here, and he's the one that really gets to break the fourth wall and talk directly to mm. camera and there's a recurring gag to the film in which um, they cut away to explain financial terms and it's done in just this irreverent humorous yeah. way that really just sells the film completely and there's some big name cameos in there that we won't spoil We're for not you. not going to go into that. We won't yeah. spoil them for you but you will absolutely love them. Yeah. It is a really, really funny film and we've not even we've not even spoken about Brad Pitt yet. And we've not. We've not. And that is quite that's, that's, that's like a bit of a testament to his performance. He's he just, a producer on it, isn't he? He's, he is. Yeah, it's so a, a Plan B production. Ah, of course. His company, yeah. yes. Well, yeah. he's. I think you said that he's he's nineteen nineties Robert Redford. Yeah, that, that's I did it. Say that, yeah. and I, I, I I didn't realise it was you that said it. Mm. I came out of the screen and went, yeah, it's, it's Robert Redford in nineteen ninety. And then everyone and, was like, oh man, yeah. you're so clever. <laughs> like, yeah, not me, man. <laughs> but yeah, really great performance despite having a uh, smallest amount to do. And Robert mm. and he gets that Robert Redford moment of being the voice of wisdom at one point, mm. the voice of reason, and saying. No, what we are doing, we are betting on the economy to fail. Have you realised that? And he's actively participating in it, but he has to stop and remind yeah, everyone. He has to sober everyone. Exactly. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's, that's the sobering cynicism of margin call at yeah. work amidst the madcap absurdity of the Wolf yeah. of Wall Street. And it's really Ryan Gosling who gets to embody that completely. He, he just is Jordan Belfort, isn't Well, he? I had heard a wild rumour at one point that he was playing Jordan Belfort. And I went into the film thinking that was it. This was part of the John Jordan Belfort story. Yeah. And no, you actually could triple bill this with Wolf of Wall Street and Margin Call and have a good time. You really could. It'd be a long evening. If, if you kind of start with Margin Call, 
do this, end with Wolf. Yeah, yeah. I, I would call that a good night. I mean, it's Definitely. reverse chronological, I think, if you do it that way. But... I'm just going in terms of, like, zaniness. <laughs> exactly. <absurdity. laughs> now, in terms of the direction of it, Adam McKay has gone for this frenetic, energetic, reliant on a handheld style, and it's it's really effective. Yeah. He's really brought the right tone to it, and he's, he's co-written the screenplay as well. It's got the perfect balance in terms of that humour yeah. and the cynicism. It balances it brilliantly. It's definitely needed, because I think that kind of subject matter... It can it can be quite heavy it can go over your head that's it yeah and the the things i came away from it and new things about the the financial crisis and about banking that i never knew never in a million never never dreamed i would know and i now know them how do i how do i know this thing those cutaway gags really work you found respect for really slimy bankers i I do because i now know for instance what a cdo is and (laughs) (laughs) i rewatched margin call after this and understood about 50 percent more of the actual i'm gonna have to do that now i I would now because you do understand understand an awful lot more about what's yeah. actually going on. You understand on. what Jeremy Irons is talking about. You do, yes. Mm. You understand about their triple band mortgages, etc. The only problem with The Big Short, and this is, it's only failing. It's a great film. It is a fantastic film. It has one failing. And it's its really a backhanded compliment at best. It doesn't have much in the way of mainstream appeal. If you follow my, my sort of logic, this is going to attract an, an, an audience element of "Let's go and see the new Ryan Gosling movie." Yeah, and or, they, or, yeah. or Brad Pitt's. New yeah, film. or yeah. we didn't want to see the new Brad yeah, yeah. Pitt. Actually, no, Brad Pitt because Brad Pitt attracts a different audience to Ryan Gosling. He does now. He yeah, does now. Yeah. So a modern Brad Pitt audience, which is going to be you know people above a certain age now, will mm. go into this and think, "Yeah, you know what? This is actually kind of funny and irreverent and really well done." However, Ryan Gosling d- will attract an entirely different sort of element. And and they're going to be disappointed this is not a heartthrob Ryan Gosling role. This is more of an, well, yeah. a cynical and absurd sort of performance in a rather sobering yeah. dramedy. But I like that he does that. I like that he's choosing different projects. And not every film is a notebook, and that is a good thing. Exactly. I mean, this is yeah. very much a character piece. Yeah. And they are, they are great characters, and they are compelling characters. And the story is very interesting mm. and very, very funny. Yeah. And oh, definitely. One thing you can't say about The Big Short is that it comes up short. It most definitely does not. <laughs> and that has been said by like a thousand writers. I oh, I imagine, yeah. it has. I imagine it has. For the record, I didn't write that in my own review. Just, oh, just good, for the record. Good. Yeah. I said, actually, I put that you will find your investment paying off dividends. <laughs> oh, that's much better. <laughs> well well that's clever, oh, isn't right, it? That's pays better. off dividends. You, you've <laughs> definitely learned something watching I, that. I film. have. I also learned what a dividend was. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, hilarious, gripping, interesting what's not to love about it for yeah. me it ticked every box every joke landed every plot point of, of intellectual value yeah. landed was was clear was concise it made its case it tells a really difficult story because you have to understand that we are talking about a story this is about bad guys effectively yeah you do end up rooting for the bad you guys you are rooting and... for the people betting on the economy to fail yeah that's and that's that Brad Pitt moment. That's the we are yeah, that realization. Yeah. yeah, and you think that's really difficult to, to pull that off. And mm. hats off to Adam McKay for doing I that. I am really really excited about what he's going to do next. I am now. I'm very interested to see what yeah. he comes out with. So speaking of what's to come next, we have got to talk about some film news because yes. first, right, this, we've got a bunch of film news that all ties together. So follow my logic. I'll I'll just. I will wait. Follow my logic. So, first of all, we had Jake Kasdan, the director of Sex Tape. He has been hired as the director of Sony's reboot of Jumanji. We have that to come. Now, that was originally set for, I believe, is it this Christmas coming? 
Yeah, it was. It was. It was this yeah. this, this Christmas coming this year, right? And uh, we. Uh, in the meanwhile, you also had Star Wars Episode Eight, which was going to be out in the summer, I believe, of twenty seventeen. About May, May of May twenty seventeen. Right. Yes. Bearing in mind that Star Wars Rogue One, was a Rogue One colon the Star Wars story was going to be out this this Christmas. Yeah. Right. What now happened is Star Wars is taking a seven month is it seven month six month delay. Well, it's going to be uh, December of it's that gonna, year so, now. It's going to be December yeah. of twenty seventeen and. All the release dates are shifting round to go with it. Yeah. So because Star Wars just controls everything. Exactly. <laughs> so, so Star Wars is uh, Episode Eight is moving to Christmas of 2017. Yeah. We now have the Spider-Man reboot, which is coming forward. I think three weeks in the summer of 2017 oh, no, as forward. well. Oh, that's, that's going forward three weeks. Jumanji's going back. Uh, Jumanji is going to July 28th, 2017, which is where Spider-Man was going to be. Spider-Man's yeah. moving forward to the 7th of July, 2017. And, yeah, so this is going to be an interesting one. So what's actually happening now is that because Spider-Man is shifting, it's going to be released on the same day as Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales, which presumably is the alternative title to Pirates of the Caribbean Let's Flog This Dead Horse a Little <laughs> Bit More, and or Ye Old Horse Flogging. Colin, Johnny Needs Another House. Yeah, Johnny Needs yeah. Another House. Pistol and Boo need more home. Yeah, that, that's how it works. That, those are the dogs, aren't those they? Those are the dogs. Pistol, Pistol and Boo, the one, ones that annoyed Australia. Yeah, Barnaby Jones. It's like that Simpsons episode, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, this but, is like, but like Prime Minister is going to boot Johnny Depp with a big boot. Exactly. Yeah. But no, it's, it's the Agricultural Minister Barnaby oh, Jones. Right. Bar- that's a Barnaby. Great name. His Barnaby. name is Barnaby, Barnaby Jones. Jones. <laughs> Watch the John Oliver news story. It's fantastic. Um, so the pair, though, Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, sorry, Pirates of the Caribbean yep. and Spider-Man and Spidey, yeah. are now going to be opening <laughs> a day after, oh, sorry, a day before the Legend of Tarzan. Oh, so, that poor film! That poor film! Yeah. The deck is stacked against it, isn't it? Really? It? Oh, there's been some negative press around that. Oh, already. man! It's, it's, it's just—it's not working out for poor Scar's got. And I really <laughs> want it to be good. I like Tarzan. I like all the cast involved. I do. You got you got Gmon. You got Christoph Holt. Yeah. Uh, what Christoph Waltz is a villain? That never I, happens. I know. Can you Come imagine? On. Can you imagine Christoph Waltz playing a villain? He's, he's always a good guy, isn't he? Always. He is. He's yeah, like yeah. Chris Cooper. He only plays the nicest of men. <laughs> <laughs> So, we should plug the competitions then before we yes. get to the jump, which is if you go to onscreenfilm.com, jump in our competition section, we've always got stuff to give away. At present, yeah. we've got Creed sets to give away. Oh, um, yeah, but some great uh, prizes. Yeah, we, we have, which is the, all the swag from Creed. So, yeah. you know, Delphi boxing gym gear. <laughs> the rope. The, jump, the rope. jump rope. Yeah. All that is in there. Go on onscreenfilm.com, go in there, enter. There's always DVDs, Blu-rays, and stuff like that in our competition section. Yeah. Just check back at any random time, and odds are you can win something. And we have uh, January's uh, quiz. Is up Ooh, there we as well. do as well. January's film yeah. quiz is last, in our last, This has just gone up uh, like about two days ago, something like that. I think we put it up on Monday, didn't we? Oh, was it Monday? It was, it was Monday. I think we put it up on Monday. Well, you, you wrote it. I wrote it. I should know these things. <laughs> you should know these things, Case. <laughs> well, so, I, I just want to plug it. It's there. It, it's there. Go in the yes. feature section, onscreenfilm.com, and try your hand. See if you are Quiz Pratt. Or John Kwasinski. I am so proud of that. You are. You came up with half, I get the other half, but I'm giving you all all the credit for it. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. 
And we're back, and we're still dancing to that ident because it <laughs> never gets old. It never, ever, ever it, will. It never will, will it? So, shall we? Uh, shall we finish off this week's uh, this week's top ten? Because we don't want to keep people in suspense. No, people are just chomping at a bit, aren't they? Clearly. Number five, the hateful eight. Now, this is the thing. This is plummeting quite quickly, and you can't help yeah. but think maybe it's because half the cinemas don't have it, which, which is a shame. Go, go seek it out somewhere. Yeah, go seek it out. It is worth seeing. It's Tarantino's best in a long while. Uh, it is Reservoir Dogs with a Western flavouring. Yeah. And it's, uh, well, apparently his inspirations were Reservoir Dogs and The Thing. Can you yeah. imagine saying that your own film is one of your inspirations? Uh, yes, if I was Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> if you were Tarantino. Yeah. Have you heard that he's thinking about turning this into, uh, into a stage play? No, that I can completely believe yeah. because it has a very stage play-like feel. I'm sure I wrote that in the review. It has a very stage play-like <laughs> stage play like feel to it. Mm. And he did actually do it when it was, because the script was leaked, wasn't it, once upon it, a time? It was, and then he retooled the he ending. He retooled and... it. But be, while it when it was leaked, he actually did a tour where he got big name actors in to read it, did, to do yeah, a live reading. Did, if you remember, this yeah. got forgotten actually, mm. because I'm sure one of them was Michael Fassbender. Fassbender played, yeah, wait, yeah. Fassbender did the live reading. Uh, James yeah. Ramar played uh, another character. Oh, he'd be good in that. Yeah. Number four, Daddy's Home, which I'm a fan of. I've still not seen uh, it. You still but seen I, it. I know who the super secret cameo is. Oh, do you know who's been spoiled, has it been spoiled for you? But oh, did, I, when you it, found it, it out, though. Wanna, yeah, it doesn't make me want to see it even more. <laughs> okay, so now yeah. that you know who the super secret cameo yes. is, you want to see it even more. Yes, because that joke works, doesn't it? Mm. The, there is a lineage to that joke he, as well. He is getting around. He is getting yeah. around. There is a lot of fun to Daddy's Home. There's some violent laughs in it. It doesn't fall back on toilet humor, which I think is really impressive. In this this day and age, and it has that great inversion of the Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg dynamic, dynamic yeah. which we know from the other guys, really. And that's it. I mean, I, I laughed myself senseless. I loved it. I want to see it again. And it's got Bill Burr in a cameo. Number three, Creed. Just want to point out, Bill Burr is not the secret cameo. Anyway. No. <laughs> Otherwise, that would be quite an anticlimax. That, no, that, that really no, would be. No, like I don't know. No, no, no offense to Bill Burr, but yeah. Yeah, he's not the super secret cameo. No. But Creed. Yeah, Creed. Oh man. Oh, what 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 a story! I mean, I love this one. Yeah. I think Michael B. Jordan finally gets a star vehicle. You know, worthy been, of him. Yeah, yeah. That he's that he's been sort of dying for. Yeah. Stallone's better than he's ever been in this. This is his best work. He's really yeah. going for the dramatic chops in this one. And, <laughs> I mean, he, he literally can drop a monologue that will reduce you to tears mm. in this. And from what you told me about your and Cassie's uh, viewing experience, I, I imagine that actually oh. happened. Niagara Falls, Frankie Angel. <laughs> Niagara Falls, Frankie Angel. <laughs> um, but no, I really, really liked yeah. it. I, I thought that Tessa Thompson, I thought, did great. She was, having... she was very good. Did you find the dis- this disability element kind of shoehorned in, though? I no, I think it kind of added to it. You think it kind of added to it? I also like I liked Felicia Rashad in that small but pivotal role as Creed's widow. Yeah. And I thought she took a great role. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was funny in places, it was heartwarming in others, it was interesting, it was suspenseful, it was well written. I think Ryan Coogler has really pulled a good Mm. one on this one. Number two. And I never thought it was gonna happen. It's now at number two, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Oh, man, Star Wars has slipped. Well, you know what? It had a really good run, because it hasn't had a month at number one. It's, yeah, it's a, like it's that, a month yeah. this week. Yeah, it's had yeah, a number yeah, one. Yeah. Fair play to it. It's done really well. It's deserved all the money it's earned, <laughs> and it has earned all the money. Has it crossed uh, two billion yet? I don't know. It's it, just, it must it, be doing it soon. Yesterday it crossed a hundred million in China. I know that one, which is that that's an achievement. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, but uh, it's, not, it's not Transformers money though, because you know Transformers made a billion. Uh, well, maybe the next Star Wars will just be set in China. 
Well, a completely Chinese planet. Maybe that's why it's been pushed back. Maybe, maybe that, yeah. that could happen. Although, you know, the Jedi always have that samurai element. You could do. Mm. Yeah, could there do was that. a rumor for a while about doing something that was going to be like the Seven Samurai with Jedi. Oh man, that'd be great. That was that was one, a rumor to be one of the spin-offs for a long time. That they were going to do yeah. like a, a Seven Samurai slash Jedi movie. The Magnificent Jedi. The Magnificent wow. Jedi. Oh, Magnificent let's, Jedi. Let's get right in this. Oh, let, let, let's get on that. Are, are, are you listening, Simon Kinberg? Come <laughs> on, man. But no, Force Awakens. Great performances. Great energy. Great tone. Yeah. It really it's, nailed it. It brought it back. Yeah. It not only brought it back. It said, "Hey." Daddy's home, Daddy B, of course, the daddy of all franchises. And you know what? The, the, it was worth the wait. It was almost worth three god-awful prequels. Number one. The Revenant. The Revenant mm. bumped Star Wars off the top spot. Well, well, who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? Well, I mean, I really like The Revenant. I think The Revenant so is... I. I think it is one of the first genuine <clears throat> masterpieces of the 21st century. I really do. I, I don't think I'm underselling it. I think that cinematography is just absolutely... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's breathtaking. It, it really is. Do you not feel like you, you, you kind of needed oh, to wear man. a winter coat throughout because you felt like I you were cold. in the front? I was cold watching that film. <laughs> Who needs 4DX when you have the cinematography of Emmanuel Lebesgue? Uh, we see a lot of people have said that. We said that this is more, I don't know, more engaging, more, more, immersive. more immersive than any 3D film they've ever seen. It is. And yeah. this is the thing. It, 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 I, I haven't had the pleasure of seeing it in IMAX, and I really no. wish I had. I think it's only in Sheffield. I think it's only on a single screening at night. Like, late at night. Late yeah. at night. Which, I might say just for that opening yeah. five minutes. Which is yeah. like, it, that's the most visceral and brutal battle sequence I've seen since Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I, again, yeah, I don't, think, I don't yes. think that's selling it short. No. You, you can accuse it a lot, lot of hyperbole <laughs> with this one, but no, there is no hyperbole, hyperbole with The Revenant. There is not. It is a great film. It is well acted. It is well written. It is amazingly shot. It is a beautiful, haunting film. Yeah. And please, 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 can we get Leonardo DiCaprio with Oscar for this one? How do you deny it? If, if not for this, it's never going to happen. He's so, going to get like a Peter O'Toole honorary Oscar. When he's 80. <laughs> That's probably it, yeah. yeah. So, shall we go on to a film that I really don't think will ever win an Oscar? And talk, <laughs> talk about, Let's do it, yeah. Let's talk about Ride Along 2, which is, of course, the obligatory sequel to the sleeper hit of 2013. 2013? 2014, isn't it? It was 2014, yeah. Uh, Ride Along, which starred Ice Cube and Kevin Hart. Ice Cube is the hard ass, you know, straight edge cop who's a bit of a tough guy, always wears his sunglasses and his leather jacket. And and he doesn't, is doesn't play by the rules. And yeah. yeah, you know, I don't work for the system. The system works for me. You know, that kind of take no yeah. prisoners cop. And then you've got Kevin Hart, who likes video games yeah. and wants to be a copper and is marrying Ice Cube's sister and goes on a ride along and becomes involved in hijinks. And now we've got the sequel where Kevin Hart is a copper who likes video games and he goes along with Kevin, with the Ice Cube on a trip to Miami to interview a hacker witness when he inadvertently has his name pop up during one of Ice Cube's investigations, said hacker being played by Ken Jong, of all people, and they uh, find themselves embroiled in a plot by a duplicitous philanthropist who's setting out to become basically a criminal underworld kingpin. We have a clip. James may not understand what you're saying, but I do. I mean, you and AJ obviously have a connection, and you're trying to honor him right now. Right, James? My question to everyone standing here is, is he honoring you, Tasha? Because when I went through this phone here, I'm not gonna lie to you. I was kind of thrown off by what was going on in the contact list, especially the favorites, because the first name I came across was Colette. I said, well, who is Colette? More importantly, what's her ringtone? So I played it. 
don't know about you, but that throws me off because it's hypersexual. So then I started thinking about you. Your priority, at least I thought you were, but then I see your name at the bottom of the list. So I said, maybe he saved the best for last. Then I played your ringtone, Tasha. This is where it got dark. Yes, believe me, that is the funniest joke in the movie. And um, you, you have said that you actually quite like Kevin Hart. I like Kevin Hart yeah. very much, although... You were sort of like squinting, listening to Yeah, that. Ride Along 2 has now convinced me that the problem is Kevin Hart should never be allowed to do sequels, because Think Like a Man 2 was rubbish as well. And oh, yeah. Um, yeah, this just plods along. It has, I think, three action beats, one at the very beginning and two in the sort of the third act. They are not very interesting, they are not very suspenseful, and the fact that it's an action comedy that doesn't deliver on the action, you would think, maybe it delivers on the comedy. No, because I, I didn't laugh once. I was in a press show in which nobody laughed. Dead air. And wow. I mean, Ice Cube doesn't take the sunglasses off throughout the film, presumably because he doesn't want you to see how visibly he's coasting through this. Kevin Hart is simply... When you remove the comedy, he's just an irritant. And you think, wow, you, you've managed to come up with like an even worse version of Chris Tucker in Rush Hour. Uh, you know what I mean? With a high pitched voice yeah, and the. Come on, Lee! But just, you know, shorter. Because <laughs> yeah. that's his shtick, isn't it? That's he's, his whole he's shtick. Little. Is he's, little. He's, he's little. He's a little person. But yeah, and no, it's just, it's, it's not very funny. It's not very suspenseful. It commits that cardinal sin of sequels, which seems to be becoming more and more common these days, in which we make a sequel and we undo any character development from the first movie. Mm. So Captain Kirk has to go back to being a renegade. <laughs> Tony Stark forgets any of the responsibility he's learned in the first one and goes yeah. back to become... Yeah. And you think, what, why did we sit through the why first one yeah. if you're going to get to the second and just forget all of that? Their relationship hasn't evolved in this. They still have exactly the same dynamic. And you think, it doesn't make a lick of sense. And by the time you get to the end of this film, which supposedly has this big emotional payoff, you think... I can't buy into it because it's dialed in anyway. It's quite obvious that nobody involved cares. And it's also become increasingly evident that should you spin this off into the inevitable third film, we're going to be back in this. And you think what you should have done was go down the lethal weapon route of things matter, consequences exist, Ken Jeong doesn't have to be, you know, make him the new Leo Getz. Yeah, make him a new Pesci. Wouldn't that have been amazing? Mm, You know, have Olivia Olivia Munn be the new Rene Russo. This could Mm. have been a PG-13 lethal weapon franchise. And what they have done is just turned it into another watered-down Rush Hour-type series. And you think, oh, God, all and you've we're, done... We're actually going to get that. There's a TV show... We, we yeah, are going to get that. It. But that's the problem. We don't need it. This <laughs> makes Rush Hour look genuinely accomplished. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah. I mean, imagine how... Can you imagine? Your film isn't as good as any of the Rush Hour movies. That's that, that's kind of depressing. Mm. But, uh, oh well. So, I mean, we're not going to give Film of the Week to uh, to Ride Along 2 then. Really? And what a surprise. I think, it, I think it goes without saying that Ride Along 2 is not our Film of the Week. Um, could, could, do we agree on this one? Is it the big short, do you think? I think we can quite safely agree that it is indeed the big short. I think the big yeah. short, it did not leave me short, and it paid off dividends. Hey! Oh, <laughs> fantastic. So, let's have a look what we've got next week then. Next yeah, week, oh, we've got the teaming mm. up of uh, Michael Caine and Harvey Kai tell next week oh uh, youth youth yeah. that's out or if we're going to go with the bbc version youth 
Ute. 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 Four T's and E. Yeah, we've got uh, the animated feature Capture the Flag, which seems to be a sort of sci-fi-like tale. We have Spotlight next week. This is That's our big Oscar contender for next week, I think. Um, We've got Dirty Grandpa, Robert De Niro and Zac Efron teaming up there. That's not a big Oscar contender. It's not. Although, will we ever see Aubrey Plaza get the Oscar nomination she truly deserves? I... Oh, maybe. It would be know. nice. I've been really watching some Parks and Rec, and I've, I've got a bit of a soft spot for... I, 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 I have a soft spot for Obi Plaza, I've got to admit. Uh, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi is next week. Michael Bay goes patriotic. What are the odds? You don't need that subtitle, Michael. Get rid of it. You don't, you need, don't it. need Why? Why do you need The Secret the Soldiers? Secret Soldiers, of, why do you need that? It sounds like it should be on the cover of an airport novel. Totally, yeah. The novel you pick up in Waterstones in the three for two offer, the one you don't really want. When you've gotten the The two, it's just like, oh, yeah, I'll guess I'll. You're like, oh, do you know it's a quid cheaper if I get another book? So I'll just get this one. 13 soldiers, 13 hours, secret soldiers have been going. And Michael Bay saw it and was like, soldiers, America, (laughs) I can make money. America, Bay, yeah. <laughs> Michael Bayhem. And of course, our final film for next week, which I'm shocked wasn't mentioned in the Oscars, The 33, starring Antonio Banderas, the yeah. story of the Chilean miners. Mm. So that's just interesting ones to come up next week. But uh, any, any, were you particularly looking forward to that? Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, watching Michael Keaton, obviously. Yeah, spotlight for yeah. me, definitely. Def- Rachel definitely McAdams, spotlight. isn't it? Isn't she? She, yeah, she's got nominated as well. This oh, is th- that's always this a good is great. Day. This is great. Well, that's all we have time for yeah. this week off screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. This has been a Candy Store production for On Screen, and we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, so you know, with our podcast extras, I mean, we we we've got to talk about the assassin really briefly. Oh yeah, uh, let's which talk is. About it. Uh, I mean, I'll make this short and sweet. Uh, this is the story of, uh, you know, an ancient Chinese assassin, Chinese historical epic, assassin and her divided loyalties. Can she kill her uh, her former betrothed? Uh, she's played by uh, Shu Qi. She's the only real known commodity in the film. Beautiful to look at. Not really any good otherwise. It's one of those where they've gone for authenticity and forgotten about any kind of entertainment value. There's nothing really to hook onto. And I'm quite glad we didn't do it in the regular show. Actually, I don't think I could have yeah, padded it out to five or four minutes. Yeah. It's, it's a really blank movie. Gorgeous, but empty, mm. I think. So, I mean, of course, the biggie we've got to talk about is the Oscar nomination. So we've got yes. to go through these. So, so these were uh, announced on Thursday. Yes, they were. The so we should yep. uh, we should just go on with this one. Can I just point out, Aaron Sorkin did not get a nomination, no. yeah. and that's a crime. Let's, let's, let's get all the snubs and surprises out of the way. Let's do that. Yeah, let's do yeah. those snubs. So, 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 yeah, Sorkin, madness. Because everyone thought he was... Uh, yeah, he was kind of like a shoo-in. You surely. would have thought that, wouldn't you? Yeah. But absolutely not. And Tarantino didn't get a Best Director one, which I thought, yeah, kind of tells you something. Also didn't get a Best Original Screenplay, which everyone, again, thought was a shoo-in. Exactly. And, yeah. of course, who didn't get a Best Director nomination, whom we all expected... Mr. Ridley, Ridley Scott. Scott. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of people thought he was going to not only get nominated, but win. Go and win. Yeah, because right, it's been a while. For, has Ridley Scott ever won an Oscar? He's though? never won. Never won an Oscar. So before, but it was going to be like a Martin Scorsese departed. It's been a while since he's kind of been Oscar. mentioned. Uh, I think it was like, must have been Gladiator last time he was nominated. Mm. And he, but, was, he wasn't a producer on Gladiator, so he's not got any kind of Oscar. No. So well, let's go through them then. So best okay. best motion picture. Okay. I've, so, I've, I've got, have you got the list? I've got the list as well. Do you want to go through the list? Do you want to read these out? Uh, okay, I'll do that. Okay, so um, we have uh, Bridge of Spies. Okay. Yeah. 
That was good. I enjoyed yeah, that. That was great. I enjoyed that. So um, let's just let's just read them out and then say which ones we think will oh, win. Oh, that's right. Okay. The Big Short. Okay. Brooklyn. I'm glad that's in there. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. I'm very glad Come that's on. in there. You'd be glad about this. The Martian. Yes. yes Mark man. Watney lives. <laughs> the Revenant. Well, I think that was kind of an obvious that, one. That really, was that. a given. That I was think. kind of a given, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, I think a lot of people really wanted this one. Room. Yeah, well, I'm happy. It's I fair. don't. I don't think this stands a chance of winning. No, but it's it's like your what was what was it? This is your art house one for the year. Yeah, is this the art what house was one with uh, Kevonjane Wallace? What was that? Oh, uh, be- I, I was going to Southern... say Beasts of the Southern Wild. Beasts that's of the it. Southern Wild. I was going to say Beasts of No Nation. I was going to say Beasts of No Nation. I keep getting them confused. But no, because that's a film about people of colour. So we can't have that nominated, can we? No, no, no you cannot. And finally, um, we have um, uh, Spotlight, of yeah, course. So, so before yeah. we start, then, should we talk about the fact that the that pretty much everybody nominated for an Oscar this year is white? Yeah. And Hashtag black people Oscar's are, so white. Exactly. And yeah. uh, black people are not very happy about that. No. Uh, especially Spike Lee, who has apparently appointed himself the Emperor of Black People. And... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, think, I think that, was, that is, is like official title. I think Spike yeah. Lee genuinely considers himself the Emperor of Black And you know what? I, I think to, in terms of film, a lot of people seem happy with that. Yeah. So fair play to Vladimir. But he, he's uh, never won, and he's only ever been nominated for Best Writing. In, really? Yeah, for, for a film when he should have been nominated for Best Director, if not winning Best You know when Director. we were talking before the show Super about who, which of us has the better memory, I just want to point out this conversation directly oh, refers to... I have a weird encyclopedic <laughs> Oscar knowledge. You do, you do. If you ask me to like change a tyre or do anything practical I'm not your guy I'm not, I can change a tyre Okay, uh, I'm quite happy. I'm quite chuffed that I can change a tire. Yeah, but, but uh, if, if if you ask me like who won Best Director in 1994, I'll tell you. Okay, we also didn't include Spotlight, the Best Picture. Oh yeah, Spotlight. So yeah, Spotlight. We've got that to look forward to. Now, obviously, I've not seen Spotlight yet. That's that's next that's week. To for come. Me. That's next week. Yeah, but but uh, yeah, just just eight eight films. It can be between five and ten, and we've mm-hmm. gone for eight films. For so, year. what do you think stands the best chance for Best Motion Picture? Uh, sight unseen. I'm going to say Spotlight, just based on all the precursor awards. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's part of me that thinks something like Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn will come out of That'd nowhere. Be a proper upset. I, th- I think Brooklyn yeah. will come out of nowhere because it's the most traditional Oscar y one out of all the films. It is. It's, it's the most old school Oscar y kind of a kind of an entry. I don't know. I would I would liken it to a film like An Education. Yes, and, 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 I'll go and with not, that. And not just that. because it's been written by the same dude, but. But yeah, it's it's that, that kind of period setting. It's it's a bit like Atonement. It's one of mm. those kind of flakes. But but a film like Spotlight, it's been nominated for like your PGAs, DGA, like. And that's it. I mean, all, like, all again, sight unseen. I, I I can agree with you on Spotlight, yeah. sight unseen, because because of its subject matter and because of the tone of the promotion of it. Yeah. You think it, it does have Oscar? Although I say I would like to see Brooklyn as that old school traditional. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great. But I do agree with you then on Spotlight. It, it is very very very. Strong strong list it's a very strong group okay should we start fighting then over who's winning best actor because <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought we were in agreement with okay. best actor okay so let me read out the nominations yeah. for this one we've got brian cranston in trumbo yeah we've got matt damon in the martian <laughs> we've got... i don't know boston was on mars <laughs> you don't see the oddest trailer they call him yeah starring the martian <laughs> we've got leonardo dicaprio in the revenant mm. we've got michael fassbender in steve jobs which Great performance. Yeah. yeah. We've got Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl, which is your obligatory Eddie Redmayne nomination for best redmaining in an Eddie Redmayne yeah. film. This is great. This is only his second ever nomination, but it just feels like such a given now. Just, it does. Ugh. 
He's like a mini does. Daniel Day-Lewis. I, I, remember, I remember texting Chris Wilson when, as Eddie Redmayne was winning the award. Yeah. Actually, as, the, as it was being announced. And here comes the uh, Eddie Redmayne Award for Best Redmayne in any Redmayne film. And then Eddie Redmayne <laughs> won. At, at the annual uh, Manies. An, yeah, annual at Redmaynes. the Manies, yeah. <laughs> at the Rouge Manies. <laughs> the Rouge Manies. Yeah. Um, I would like to see this be DiCaprio's year. I think a lot of people would. Oh. The vast majority of people I spoke to just said, it's got to be, it's got to be Leo. It, feel, it feels like we've been working to this. We've been building towards mm. this now. I feel like that bit in The Revenant where he's like crawling through the mud. I feel like <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of symbolic, isn't it? So, somebody's holding an Oscar like, yeah, it like it's a carrot. Yeah, it's representative. <laughs> but I'm sorry, if DiCaprio can't win for The Revenant, then he he's done. I think. I think he's he's done with the potential of winning an Oscar whilst yeah. he's you know a functioning actor. Yeah. I think it's going to be a case of when he has slowed down, when he's reached his older he'll, years. He'll get one. It's going to be honorary. That's the problem because it's such a great performance. It so is. on to best actress. If you would like to take those away for me, okay. Mr. Uh, Kate Blanchett in Carol. Yeah. Uh, Brie Larson, Room. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Joy. Charlotte Rampling for 45 years. Yes, that's that one. And uh, Saoirse Ronan, Brooklyn. Yeah, now, okay, who do yeah. you think on this one? Okay, uh, Brie Larson, again. You think Brie Larson? Based on the precursors and stuff, I would say Brie Larson. Based on personal preference, I would say Brie Larson. I actually would agree with you. And yeah. in, term, in terms of, this is purely on the calibre of the performances, this is nothing to do with the films they are in. No. Um, <coughs> I, I think Brie Larson, I do. The only one that I haven't seen uh, is uh, Charlotte Rampling in 45 years, and I've heard nothing but amazing notes. I, for that yeah, film. it's a good performance. It's not Brie Larson in Room good though, no. and that because that performance is so so raw. Yeah, it is such a raw, such an intense performance. I think she's fantastic in it, and you'll notice in a lot of people's in a lot of people's sort of thoughts on Room. Mm. I mean, even the negative ones, the performances are always praised. Yeah, there are a lot of people who have, have written negative comments about you, Room, and it's you, been you average detract. film, great performances. Yeah. You can't detract from those performances. No, you can't at all. So, best supporting actor. This is oh, this the is, actor. Right. So, this I'm, is I'm an interesting actress. cast. Oh, I've got them in a different order on my screen. I think. Okay. So, I've got you Christian Bale in The Big Short, Tom Hardy in The Revenant, Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight. Mark Rylance in Bridge of Spies, we totally called that. And <laughs> Sylvester Stallone in Creed. I totally called that, like, yes. a year ago. Now, the weird thing about the Sylvester Stallone is that seems kind of an obvious win, especially after the Golden Globe uh, win. Yeah. I mean, with the thing with the Golden Globe, you can't always trust that to be No, you a can't. Precursor. I mean, last year proved that. Well, well with, with those main, like, best picture years, director yeah. ones. The last two years, yeah. the Golden Globes have been very ropey at predicting the Oscars. It seems to be with the um, all of the acting nominations, they always seem to be quite on point, mm. to be honest. So film's definitely not. But it's, yeah, like, the best director, best film, those ones never really seem to... Like so, who do you think then? Best supporting actor. Who have you got? I'm. I'm going to go with Sly. You're going to go with Sly. I'm going to go with Sly as well. Although I think Christian Bale's great in The Big Short, and I think Mark Rylance is amazing in Bridge of Spies. I think there's going to be a lot of support for Mark Rylance because he's like an actor's actor, and he's been. He really is. He's been it? doing theatre for like 30 years, and now he's getting into films. So I think all of the Academy actors they're going to have a lot of support for him. But 
it's sly getting back to Rocky. I know. And so, you think because he was denied the Oscar, was it seventy seven? It was seventy seven. No, seventy yeah. seven. He was denied the Oscar because I can't remember the reason. I'm not sure who who won uh, best writing and best actor because he was nominated for two. But yeah, yeah. but um, yeah. That's thing. That's thing about about the Oscars. It's like they they do like to write wrongs. They do in one sense. So maybe this is maybe this is the penance. The penance is Stallone it, yeah. must have his Oscar. So best supporting actress, if you will, Mr. Allen. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rooney Mara, Carol, Rachel McAdams, Spotlight, uh, Kate Winslet, uh, Steve Jobs, and uh, if you want to say uh, that one, Alicia Vikander. There you go for the Danish girl. She's, she's your last, so I thought you might want to well, say. I, her name. I am. I am a huge fan of Alicia Vikander. And do you know the part that really annoys me about this is I would much rather have seen Alicia Vikander get nominated for Best Actress for yeah. Ex Machina. Yeah, oh man. That, that would really have been something. Yeah. Um, although I will take Best Supporting Actress for uh, for Danish Girl, even though she should be Best Actress for Danish Girl. She's not a supporting it's actress. It's funny, because you can say that uh, for uh, for Miss Mara as well. Because that, that is not a supporting That's role. really not. I mean, even Kate Winslet and Steve Jobs, <clears throat> this is the strange thing. Yeah. <clears throat> we always have this with, uh, with, with Best Supporting for both actor and actress, which is, how do you define supporting? I mean, because even Christian Bale... Christian Bale has pretty much exactly the same amount of screen time it's, in it the big like short an, it, as... It is an ensemble piece. It's an ensemble piece. And again, sight and scene, Mark Ruffalo, it's an ensemble piece. Exactly. So, yeah. This becomes the problem. I think if anyone's going to win for that, I actually think Kate Winslet and Steve Jobs. See, I've been saying that. How? how... It was a great performance. It does seem a bit yeah. of an obvious win, though. It, it seems too I, easy. I think I would be cool with it, though. I mean, how cute would it be if Kate Winslet and Leo win? I'd be just like, <laughs> no. oh, everyone's going to just cry, surely. <laughs> oh, you just you, you kind of want them to both win, and then whilst holding the statues, do the pose again. Because, <laughs> yeah. you just, know, someone's going to make that meme. Yeah, too. <clears throat> so okay, so we just oh let's do best director then before we before we just start skimming through them real quick. So uh, best director we have uh, Adam McKay for mm. The Big Short. We have George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Alejandro Iñárritu for The Revenant. Lenny Abramson for Room, mm. and Tom McCarthy for Spotlight. Now I can't comment on Spotlights, obviously. Science scene. Yeah. Um, Lenny Abramson, I think, is a really good choice for this. I think he is. I think he, he is. He, again, is the Beast of Southern Wild choice. I think he is. Although, do you know who I actually think kind of deserves it? In, in, and he's, he's never in a million years going to get it. You're going to say never. Adam, Adam McKay, aren't you? No, I'm going to say George Miller. Well, that's what <clears> I'm thinking. I'm thinking George Miller's going to win the Alfonso Cuaron, Ang Lee, this is big technical thinking. This is what Oscar. I'm thinking, because I can't help but think the fact that he's been nominated for this film in particular, for Mad Max Fury Road, is so bonkers. It's so out of left field. It's yeah. so deranged. <clears throat> it is like it's like Johnny Depp getting an Oscar nomination for Pirates of the Caribbean. It, that was mad. It doesn't make crazy. a lick yeah. of sense. Why have you done this? Not just that. One, it is the fourth film in a franchise. Yes. <laughs> Two, it's a bloody action film. Like, <laughs> It kind of defies all odds. So I would, I would definitely say George. I mean, with the evolution of Ridley Scott, I would say that it's it's George's to lose. I, I mean, I would love him to win this. I actually do think, though, in, in your too. I, th- I think he'll get it. Consecutive Oscars, really? I, he won three. The Revenant is just that good. It is, but we could we could give him something else. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. So adapted screenplay. Then, do you want to run through them real quick? 
Uh, you don't, don't, don't read the writers. I just go with the, the name of the film. So well, best I, adapted I, screenplay. I, I, can't, I can't find it on my list. I'll find it. <laughs> have, okay. you, have, you, have you got it on yours? I, I've got it. I've got it. So I'll knock it out. So we've got Big Short, yeah. uh, Brooklyn, Carol, The Martian, and Room. Uh, now I've not read the source material for yeah. most of these. <laughs> <laughs> I've read The Martian, I, that's, yeah, and that's, that's a really I, good adaptation. Yeah. Um, which is the best screenplay out of all of those? I really like The Big Short. I really do. I think it's an amazingly written film, mm. but I think Room. I, I, I just think Room is yeah. is so sharp. Now it's, she she has done that from her own novel, and that's it. It, yeah. it. it is the writer adapting their own novel. It's Gone Girl again, effectively. Yeah. And what run? What won uh, best uh, adapted screenplay last year? I don't remember. Don't know because Birdman was best original. It was best original. Best oh, it was. I remember getting really annoyed. It was the uh, the, the imitation game. It was the imitation game. Yeah. Oh, it's it not, it's not yes, a good yes, screenplay. Yes. And I was getting really annoyed because it was something else that was better. Um, yeah. it, it is true. <laughs> if you're going to give Imitation Game anything, you don't give it the best adapted screenplay. The best original screenplay, we have Bridge of Spies, Ex Machina making an appearance as well. That's Inside amazing. Out. Oh, of course. That mm. story is, yeah. Spotlight and Straight Outta Compton. And, well, really? That, that, that's where Straight Outta Compton got nominated? For the three white people. For the three white people behind yeah, it, exactly. Of course, of course. Uh, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something really controversial and say, Ex Machina. Are you? I think Ex Machina. Uh, in a perfect world, I would love to see that win, and the other one, I would love to see the Martian win. So Alice Goldwyn <laughs> and Drew Goddard both of Oscars, that would be absolutely amazing. I, I think that, that would, I would call that a day. I, would call I, that a good I day. think the Spotlight is going to win it again. Siren Scenes keeps saying Siren Scene. Seen it. Mm. I'm, just, I'm basing it on the Pukers and the fact that I don't think Tom McCarthy is going to win Best Director, and I think we're going to give him that. So on to best animated feature, and I think I think it's pretty well documented what we <laughs> yeah. think is going to win this. So best animated feature, we have Anomalisa, Boy in the World, Inside Out, Shaun the Sheep movie, and When Marnie Was There. Let's just call it the Pixar Award. Give it to Inside Out. And call yeah. it a day. You know, let's let's just let's just call I, it a day. I'm so happy to see Shaun the Sheep there, though. I am as well, because Shaun the Sheep is this unappreciated work of silent comedy genius. Yeah. And it they, is, it's, it's an old do, school they silent comedy. They love Ardman. They love Ardman. They do. Oh, best, best uh, director this year, is a, uh, best documentary story this year is a very interesting one as well. Oh, yes it is, yeah. Uh, we've got Amy, we've got Cartel Land, The Look of Silence, What mm. Happened Miss Simone, and Winter on Fire, which is the uh, Ukraine documentary. Uh, I've seen uh, What Happened Miss Simone, I thought that was amazing. I, 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 think, I think this kind of has to go to Amy though it feels like Amy's I think that it will I think that it will I do uh, so of course cinematography this is this is where this is the worst one uh, this year it's the worst one <clears throat> if you are not Emmanuel Lebeski it really is so we've got <clears throat> Ed Lockman for Carol we've got Robert Richardson for The Hateful Eight and his cinematography is great mm. you've got to give it to him his cinematography oh, yeah? for The Hateful Eight with the whole 70 mil thing is great it's he is stunning <clears throat> well, I mean, the visuals are so superb, so so wonderfully captured. Mm. You kind of wonder why there was a need for the 70mm thing in the first place. It Other feels than... very tight, very claustrophobic, exactly, which is what you need yeah. for that film. Uh, you've got John Sale for Mad Max Fury Road, and wow, you know, what a job. Good job, yeah. <laughs> and of course, Emmanuel Lebeski for The Revenant, mm. and our man, Mr. Roger Deakins, uh. for Sicario. Did you finally get to watch Sicario? <clears throat> no, I still haven't. Have you still not watched it? No, how bad is that? I thought you were watching it over Christmas. Uh, that, that was a plan. That was the plan. Never life, happened. Life, life 
got in the way. But uh, I, I, I'll be honest, I think that's going to be a fight between Deakins and Lubeski. I think that Lubeski's going to win it. It's going to be his third consecutive. Because what an achievement. He I'll... is the best cinematographer yeah. in the business. He yeah. really is. But Roger Deakins just has such a unique, distinctive style. And he was robbed for Skyfall. He's been robbed 12 times. <laughs> not just <laughs> for Skyfall. Be fair. <laughs> uh, so, be- I'm not going to read out the nominations. I'm going to say, I think best costume design will go to Sandy Powell for Cinderella. Oh, really? I, I do. I, I mean, it's one of the things... I rewatched Cinderella recently over over Christmas with the mm. Sky Movies and the Sky Movie Disney. They do like that kind of film, though, don't they? Like, they they, they gave it to like Alice in Wonderland. And, yeah. yeah. And I think it has that sort of pedigree behind it. It is another of the Disney live-action things. And it's one thing that Disney don't skimp on is the old costume design. Mm. They go for... They love a lavish costume <laughs> in a Disney film. They love it. Uh, best documentary short subject. Couldn't tell you. Not seen any of those. No. no. These are always the ones that I always uh, kind of struggle to watch. Not not in terms of the, yeah, what they're about, but I just can't find them. I can't find them online. Anywhere. No, no, you can't. Uh, they are actually being screened across the US this next week. The best documentary really? shorts. They are. So I don't know if we get the similar thing in the UK. Yeah, that'd be great. That, that would be, be really good. Uh, best achievement in editing. We've got the big short, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, Spotlight, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Yes. Yeah. Now this is uh, the award that always seems to be a bit of like a tell for who is going to win Best Picture. In does a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So like there's. I think there's been like maybe three films in the entire history of the Oscars that have won without having a nomination. Really? For Best Film Editing, yes. Well, in terms of editing, I think it's between Fury Road and The Big Short. Editing on Big Short is incredible. The editing is, it's very, it's that frenetic energy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But, well, and Fury Road is the same thing though as yeah. well. It is frenetic. Well, Fury Road is more anarchic than anything else. Oh, absolutely. That, yeah, that's it's just, just fitting with the story, it isn't does. it? But it can always sort of surprise you. Uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo won Best Editing. That's so, very true. Yeah. Uh, best Makeup and Hairstyling is, is down to three films. One of them, I'm <laughs> absolutely shocked that this is in there. Yeah. The 100 year old man who climbed out the window and disappeared. disappeared. I didn't think anyone else in the world had seen this film. And I thought it was a great movie. Yeah. Chris Wilson and I went to a showcase day and saw this and had a bunch of uh, dweeby bloggers ruin it for us because they were killing time waiting for X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh. Which <laughs> makes me wonder in turn, given how long ago that was, this still qualifies? Mm. So, all right. so makeup and hairstyling. Fury Road? Really? I was going to say Revenant. No, it's like, I'm wondering, like, really? Oh, right. You've gone for the, 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 you know, the, the punky... Old fashioned. Oscars go steampunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, instead of saying like, like Carol or Cinderella. Or yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by that. But no, I think The Revenant, most I would, definitely. I would say Revenant for that one. But be- because it was something you didn't really. It, it was such a focal point of. It's part of the visual tapestry of the film. Mm. And in particular, everything is so dirty and grimy and precise that it. Well, in fact, the exact opposite of precise. Yeah. It, it just works. Uh, right, here we go. Best music, best original score. Yeah, yeah okay. you have to be right. very precise about that. Are we, are we going to fight over this one? Then? <laughs> do, you, do you want to read it out? Okay, so go on. We've got Thomas Newman for Bridge of Spies. Yeah. We've got Carter Burwell for Carol. We've got Ennio Morricone for The Hateful Eight. Johan Johansson for Sicario. And John Williams for Star Wars The Force Awakens. Those are some of the biggest names <clears throat> in film composition. Ever. Yeah. I mean, imagine, like, Ennio Morricone and John Williams in the same year. That's happened before. Yeah. But surely not since With the 70s. With Carter Burwell and Thomas Newman, like... 
The, the only one that's a bit of like a greenhorn to use my words is, is the guy that did uh, Johan Johansson. He did uh, The Theory of Everything last year, which I'm so glad that did not now, win. I don't think Johan Johansson will win for Sakari. I think the score to Sakari was great, and I said that at the time when I reviewed it. But it is. It's one of those. <laughs> to quote Forgetting Sarah Marshall, it's ominous tones. <laughs> It is a score of <laughs> ominous tones, and it's wonderful in terms of complementing the film. But in terms of a score, you would simply take the CD out, pop on the surround kit, and you know, revel in all over again. Yeah. It isn't one of those. I do think Ennio Morricone's for the Hateful Eight may well be. That could be it. I think. I, I think, think it's really good. He did win the Golden Globe, didn't he? He did. Yeah, those those who do match sometimes. Well, they do a lot of the time. Yeah. So, do you want to take the best original song? Kathy, yeah, I'll do, yeah, but. These are bad. <laughs> They're man. really are, bad choices. These aren't are they? really terrible choices this year. <laughs> Go on, right, uh, the song "Earned It" from. I'm not going to say the song. I'm just saying the film. Right, so uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. So just say the title. Like, Earned it. Yeah. Right. Earned it. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, Manta Ray from uh, Racing Extinction. I have no idea what that even is. And nobody, nobody does. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, simple song number three from Youth, okay. which makes sense because it's filmed about a composer. So mm, fingers enough, be quite enough. a big part. Uh, Till it happens to you, the hunting ground. Okay, they've, they've definitely reached with these. They've really plumbed the depths, haven't they? And speaking of plumbing the depths, writings on the wall, Spectre. It's not even the best song called Spectre that's been written. <laughs> in fact, it's not even called Spectre. It just, uh, it just infuriates me it is terrible D- did you see him when he when he won the bloody golden globe i i did not i did not see that no i know he won it i didn't see it though right he, he was doing like the q a afterwards with everyone and um i don't know if you know radiohead have also recorded yes radiohead recorded their song yeah. spectre yeah some uh plucky brave journalist asked sam smith uh was he surprised that radiohead had uh recorded a song called spectre and and he said uh no uh i don't know who tom york is uh but i'm the one that just won a golden globe for uh recording the song next question just acted like such a yeah words that i can't say on this yes yeah. yes no I, uh, I i'm 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 not really a fan of sam smith anyway my mummies which tells you kind of all you need to know about sam smith in my opinion but, <laughs> you know what annoys me though in terms of uh best song i i i had this sort of vision in my head that when 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 it was announced i thought whatever the hell that michael bolton song is at the end of fathers and daughters <laughs> was going to get nominated my mum was michael uh, bolton <laughs> mine does too <laughs> So I was like thinking, please don't let that happen because the Oscar's going to roll around. We're going to have to sit through Michael Bolton doing a live performance. And I never want to hey see... Hey man, Michael Bolton is a major cinephile. <laughs> I don't want to see Michael Bolton ever again after having seen his recurring guest role on Two and a Half Men. That, that, that's enough for me. That's it, that's it, Michael. <clears throat> that's it. Right, so best, uh, <clears throat> best production design. We've got some interesting ones there. We've got Bridge of Spies, mm. Danish Girl. Didn't expect to see Danish Girl. Yeah, Fury Road, Martian, and Revenant. And I'd give it to Revenant again. I would. I would as well. I mean, the, I don't think... The Martian is very well made in terms of its its, its overall production. I, but it is... There is something quite generic about The Martian in terms of its production design. Mm. It is all about the story and less about the atmosphere. I mean... Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it's beautifully shot, The Martian. It's perfect yeah. for what it is. It, it is. really yeah, of course, was. Of course. It is the definition of a perfect popcorn film. But I, I do think The Revenant. I think a lot of these uh, kind of technical categories are just going to be split between Fury Road and The Revenant. I, I'm thinking say. that as well. Who do yeah. you think? Who do you fancy for best visual effects? Because we've got uh, Ex Machina, Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Force Awakens. Ugh. Fury Road. Right, I'm going to go controversial on you and say Ex Machina. 
I mean, that'd be great. You, because, simply because you, you don't conceive at any point that that's not a, a living... I wish that that was up for um, the production design. Exactly. In yeah. one sense, in one sense, yes, because they've done such a great job. They 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 tell a lot with just the just the environment yeah. of, uh, of X Mac. It's like that environment is another character, essentially the fourth character, because it's it's just like a, it's it a is. But you can't tell that the, that those are visual effects. Half the you forget that those are visual effects. That Ada yeah. isn't you, real. You forget that she has an actual body in real yeah. life. You, yeah. you you forget that that is you know that's Alicia Vikander there with a green swimming cap on. Yeah, that that is the <laughs> other Danish girl. She's wearing a green balaclava. Effectively, <laughs> <laughs> with the big transparent dome head, mm. and oh man! Well, we're going to find out soon enough. Anyway, we've got until the twenty eighth of February to wait. Yes. So uh, uh, Chris Rock is the host. He is indeed. So Chris Rock will be uh, the only black man at the Oscars this year. I'm sure he's going to open with that the, gag as well. Uh, you know he is. You know he he's totally going to open that. Uh, he called the Oscars uh, the White BET Awards. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing because uh, Will Smith is boycotting it. Um, we don't know if Will Smith is, but his wife is. Oh no, no Will Smith is apparently. He's apparently I, I, I think I think the jury just tells him what to do. Yeah, I think yeah. that. But although you can't help but think, really, really, Will, you don't get nominated, <laughs> so you, you boycott. I mean, for really? such an Oscar baity film, I like I'm, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Concussion, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will. But uh, I, I'm kind of sad that he didn't uh, get nominated because I, I want to see that clip of Brett Favre doing the Caitlyn Jenner clap again. Have you seen that? <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. It's, it's, it's this amazing non-clap that he does, Just stroking his palm. He really is. Yeah. He's stroking his palm rapidly. <laughs> uh, but say 28th of, of February at the uh, is it the Dolby Theater or the, or the Kodak Theater? It was Kodak. Is it the Kodak Theater? I don't know. I'm not sure anymore. Is it the El Capitan now? Somewhere. <laughs> I'm not even in sure. In America. Some, somewhere, somewhere in California. Okay, who knows? It's Sky Movies to us. <laughs> That's, That's it. it. It's, it's, it's Sky Movies and it's Alex Zane. That's all we know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, have you, have you, are you placing bets this year? Are you, are you William Hilling this I, one? I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. I am as well. I'm going to put some on Leo. I'm going to put some on Boo. Yeah, uh, uh, I was talking to Chris Wilson again about the. He put his Oscar bets on uh, the day after the nominations, and he said, "Oh, I've I've bet on the I've bet on the Revenant for everything, except for really? uh, he wrote he bet for Jennifer Jason Lee for best supporting." And oh, I, that's interesting. Yeah, I yeah. said to him though, "You do realise this means you have actually bet money." on Leonardo DiCaprio to win an Oscar. And his response was priceless. It was, I just don't like money, clearly. (laughs) God bless him. Uh, But yes, I actually would be tempted to bet money this year that Leonardo DiCaprio will win an Oscar. I'll I'll probably put like a fiver on it, so I'm not going to go crazy. No, it's a fiver bet. We're not fools. (laughs) We're we're not fools here. Let's let's not go nuts. It'd be interesting to see what what the odds are right now, actually. Well, well, we shall find out after after the show. After the show, yeah. But uh, I think that's enough for us for another week, then. We've definitely rambled. We've rambled. I think we've taken you through the Oscars end to end. I think we've done a pretty good job. Yeah. But uh, so that that's all from us then this week. So thanks for listening. And here it is, your moment of cage. I said, put the bunny back in the box.